MarTech is going to continue to see massive consolidation over the next 12 and 24 months. We've already seen huge consolidation over the past two years with Marketo being acquired, Magento being acquired. Like you just keep seeing these huge acquisitions and, and that's just not going to slow down. Um, you're going to continue to see these big dollar figures acquiring these other tools or suites by the big brands. Because I mean, at the end of the day, if you're Adobe, one of the fastest ways to add to your revenue for your shareholders is to buy something. So you're going to continue to see that happen over the next couple of years. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the B2BMX podcast. I'm so excited because I have Dan McCaw on the show today, and we're going to be talking about all things MarTech, because the marketing technology landscape, it's constantly growing, and Scott Brinker's big behemoth MarTech landscape infographic can be really overwhelming, and all of these shiny new toys that are constantly coming out could really be hard to resist, right? So I can understand the struggle and building the right MarTech stack for your specific business. That's why I have Dan here today because he literally wrote the book on building MarTech stacks. It's called Build Cool Shit, and it basically provides a framework for building and improving marketing technology stacks. Dan is an award-winning entrepreneur and speaker, and he is also the founder and CEO of Macaw.io. It's an analytics and marketing technology consultancy. So we're in really good hands today, and during our conversation, we talk about the inspiration behind the book, the current state of MarTech, what the future holds in terms of consolidation, best practices for assessing tech stacks, and so much more. So let's get right into it. Hey, Dan, how are you? Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. But before we kind of kick things off, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and whatever it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me here. I'm Dan McGaw. I'm the CEO founder of a company called Magal.io. We also own another company called UTM.io. But Magal.io is a marketing technology and marketing analytics agency. So we help companies basically choose their tools, integrate their tools, operate those tools, and then leverage their tech stack to grow their business. But I've been in this space for over 20 years. So I got my start in 98 sending mass emails since before there was even mass emails. So I've just kind of seen the industry grow. I've been around for a long time. Before starting this company, I was head of marketing at a company called Kissmetrics, one of the pioneers in analytics. And before that, I was head of growth at a company called CodeSchool.com, which was one of the pioneers in online education for developers. So I've just had a chance to work at some really cool companies, been consulting for a long time. So do some fun stuff. But I build stacks is the easiest way to think about it. Awesome. I love it. And you have a really awesome book out, and I love the title. And honestly, I'm going to say the full title because it'll probably be the only chance I, I get to say a little bad cuss word on this podcast. So it's called Build Cool Shit, and I love it. So can you walk me through what inspired you to write it and how it's a value to marketing teams? Yeah, for sure. I, there's a huge problem with marketing technology and building a tech stack. And what do you do? How do you do it? And I think a lot of times people get very overwhelmed because there's 
what, 8,000 tools out there, and every year it feels like there's 1,000 more, and what are we doing with all of it? And what I wanted to do was try to help marketers distill that down to what are going to be the most fundamental parts of their technology stack. How do you need to think about integrating that to be able to create good growth outcomes? And then what are some key examples from a real company that you can use in your own business to ultimately create success? So the book walks you through very easily through how you would think about a marketing technology stack, how you would go about integrating it, and then some of the outcomes you would create. It's even got colored pictures, so really, really nice and easy for people to uh, check out. But it's it's a super great primer for how to build a tech stack for your marketing organization and sales organization. I love that. And honestly, I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm you, you see it as well. Scott Brinker's MarTech la- landscape, it, it's huge and it's constantly growing. So yeah, you said 8,000. Um, it hasn't come out yet, I don't think, at the time of this uh, interview, but I'm curious to see what that's going to look like. But in your opinion... What is the current state of the MarTech landscape as you see it for B2B companies? Is it just one big confusing mess? Are, are people really diving into buying more technology or sticking with what they got? What are you seeing in that space as a whole? The biggest thing that's happening right now, I think, in MarTech as a whole is it's going to continue to expand because tools are going to get more and more niche. Products are getting smaller, solving very, very finite problems. So you're going to always see more and more tools come out, which is going to be fantastic to see. I think a big push that we're seeing right now is a lot of tools around data governance and proper management of your data. As artificial intelligence has come out, machine learning has come out, people have attempted to use it, but their data is crap and garbage in is garbage out. So you can't really artificially intelligent anything if the data set it's based on is not good. So we see a lot of data governance tools coming out trying to help make people get cleaner data, more rich data. How can they really store that? And the last thing I'll just say is that MarTech is going to continue to see massive consolidation over the next 12 and 24 months. We've already seen huge consolidation over the past two years with Marketo being acquired, Magento being acquired. Like you just keep seeing these huge acquisitions. And and that's just not going to slow down. Um, You're going to continue to see these big dollar figures acquiring these other tools or suites by the big brands. Because I mean, at the end of the day, if you're Adobe, one of the fastest ways to add to your revenue for your shareholders is to buy something. So you're going to continue to see that happen over the next couple of years. Yeah, we've definitely seen a, a ton of action. Even I'm actually surprised too, a lot of mergers and acquisitions, even during the pandemic. And in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, well, maybe budgets are being cut and things like that. But there's always there were still so many of those consolidations going on in this space. So it's really interesting. Do you think that the pandemic kind of accelerated this type of stuff? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, because like a month after the pandemic, we had a webinar talking about the stack apocalypse, like what's going to happen? Like, we don't know what is going to go on in the economy. But everything went digital. And we were predicting that, hey, there's going to be some companies that fall to the wayside. But turn to come out, digitalization just went through the roof. So a lot of businesses have seen massive increases in their revenue. And that's where you see a lot of these big acquisitions coming out as, hey, Twilio now has seen a humongous revenue increase. Well, now they have more cash on hand to buy segment, as an example. So I can't lie, COVID for two months sucked for a little while there. Everybody was in pause. But since COVID, I mean, we've been growing at an extremely fast clip. So everybody in our industry is doing really, really well, which is fantastic to see. And my heart goes out for the other industries, which have been decimated. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people that aren't doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the tech stack and all of the consolidation and things like that, and you did mention the the data governance angle, are you seeing more kind of companies consolidating with those types of data providers? I feel like we might be seeing more of that coming in the future. 
Yeah, I think data, even when you think about a data provider, whether it be enrichment or analytics, these bigger companies are trying to figure out how do they bolt on more revenue or opportunity to their suite. So you're definitely going to see a lot more of that. As an example, like we own a company called UTM.io. It makes it so that you can make clean campaign tracking links, right? So large teams like Shopify use it, Landry's Corporation uses it. They have hundreds of marketers and support people on it. And it makes it so that their data as it goes into Google Analytics, their BI tool stays clean. We've had multiple companies that are analytics companies approach us and say, hey, we're really interested in your product. Maybe we could look at an acquisition one day because this is a huge problem that we face every day. How do we attach your product to our analytics product to make it so our data is cleaner? So I think there's a lot of tangential value that you'll see out of these consolidation. But another big reason why there's a lot of consolidation is simply talent. We've seen quite a few companies get acquired this past year because the talent market has got even harder. So simply going and buying a company because you can get 150 developers that already know what they're doing is a huge reason to buy a company right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. And and I'm sure all of the changes and with the pandemic, everybody working from home, how has that really impacted the need for an efficient and comprehensive do-it-all type of MarTech stack? I know the bandwidth side you, you just mentioned, but what else is impacting this need for having this legitimate MarTech stack and constantly improving upon it? Yeah, I think there's two primary needs that everybody's trying to better understand when it comes down to the technology stack. And it's basically either they lack visibility into their customer journey through all of these different tools, or they lack the ability to properly engage in that customer journey because of all these tools. When you're using a suite of products, right, if you have, as an example, like the Adobe stack, one, the tool does everything, but it doesn't do everything very well. But if you use the best of breed stack, which you can set up correctly to do everything well, you not always are good at the integration. So you lose track of the customer as they go from one tool to another tool. And that's a lot of times because of tools are either siloed, they're not properly integrated, they're not using a customer data platform. So there's been this huge appetite over the past 12 months to really be able to integrate these tools to get better access to their data, because they need to know where the customer is at in their journey. And then how do they engage them with the right message at the right time in that journey. And I think the customer has become so much more advanced over the past 12 months, because they've been forced to only be e-commerce, right? You can't go to the mall. You can't go to eat restaurants like you used to. So the consumer has become so much more sophisticated. And at the same time, the businesses have to keep up with that sophistication. And I think that's really pushed on these marketing teams to get much better at technology. But the talent market, just going back to that, is extremely finite. It's There's just not a lot of talent. It's hard for us to even hire. And we, I mean, hire like crazy. And there's just not a ton of tech talent out there that knows how to manage the stack. Interesting. And where do you think marketers go wrong when trying to curate or expand upon under tech stacks? I know I feel like a lot of the times it's, it's some new tool comes out and it's beautiful and nice and shiny and, and people all, you know, they want it immediately without really making sure that, yeah, it integrates with their other solutions and, and things like that. So where are you seeing marketers really kind of go wrong and, and how can they improve upon that? Yeah, I think the first one is they put too much trust in the sales rep of whatever tool they're buying. Because yes, a lot of time these new tools are coming on the market, they're shiny objects, right? And the sales rep is going to tell you it can do all of these things. And yeah, it has a Salesforce integration. Totally, it integrates with Marketo. But if you don't do your due diligence and actually see that integration, you might come to find out that, oh, it only shares their email between those two systems. It doesn't actually have like a full sync. So I think a lot of times we put a little bit too much faith in regards to what the sales rep or solutions engineer is selling us on these big 
big, big products. We just listen to the marketing and we don't do our own due diligence to really dig in and make sure does it accomplish what we're looking for. And I've seen people sign up for three-year agreements to Salesforce Marketing Cloud to then all of a sudden in their first month be like, we can't use this and we can't even find a Salesforce Marketing Cloud person who knows how to run this. We can't even hire one. And then they spend a year paying for a contract with Salesforce Marketing Cloud to take a year to find somebody who can run it and then finally get that person and lose a year's worth of effort because they just they didn't take that into consideration. So really, you need to do your due diligence. And I would always advise doing a proof of concept with a product, whether that's a one-month, three-month proof of concept. Set clear objectives that you're trying to accomplish. Choose tools for your strategy and what the outcomes you're trying to do and make sure that they actually accomplish that. I see just way too many companies sign annual commitments to tools they can never get off the ground. You have to make sure that you can get adoption, you can get the tool set up, it actually does what you're telling it to do. And not to pick on salespeople, I mean, I have salespeople that work for me as well. Their job is to sell something. And sometimes they'll they'll sell something really well. And if you don't do your due diligence, you wind up with a product you can't use. And that's one thing that a lot of companies hire us for. So like multi-touch attribution. There's a lot of providers in that space. And if you don't know what you're doing and you just choose one, you could be screwed into an annual long contract, which you're not going to get value out because you don't know the data taxonomy. You don't know the data architecture. You don't know what a look back window is. You don't know what a look forward window is. So you got to know that stuff before you buy these tools. Don't just buy something shiny because a sales rep told you to buy it. Do proper due diligence and get help, which I, I would highly advise. Interesting. And, and let's say somebody in a perfect world has that perfect MarTech stack in their eyes. It's a perfect MarTech stack, right? But <laughs> is there... Anything, you know, any criteria or what should people keep in mind? Any red flags when it comes to trying to figure out what needs to be improved upon? Because obviously nothing is perfect. I can't imagine anybody having that perfect marketing tech stack right now. There's always room for improvement. So how do we know when it's time to make those improvements or to move on and pass up on that on that specific solution? We would always try to align around what is our strategy? What is our objective? What are our end of year goals? And how is this going to drive results? And is this something that's blocking me from those results? Or is this something that's going to help me hit those results? I think a lot of times we get excited about a tool just because we can get excited about a tool. And you really have to look at like, what is the objective I'm trying to accomplish? And the tool should be surrounded around that. And that's how you can choose these different tools. I think a lot of companies just add a lot of tools and they don't ever get used because they can. And really, you've got to go back to the objectives that you're trying to accomplish. And I'll kind of use our use case because we pick a lot of tools for a lot of companies. Our services team, whenever they start out a project, we have already picked out our objectives and key results with the client. And we basically require our team to print that out and put that behind their monitor and say, hey, when you're working on the project, be aware of these objectives and key results. These are the only things that matter. So don't get excited that I can do data enrichment to know that your hair is blonde, right? Why does it matter that we know their hair is blonde? Like nobody cares. Like our objective has nothing to do with hair color and you've got to focus on what really matters. I always just push on people to really know what your objective is, know what your key result is, and let that be what drives you. And know what, I mean, strategy is all about knowing what you're going to say no to. And many times people just suck at saying no. I wish we were better at saying no, but people aren't very good at it. Yeah, I'm one of those people, actually. I am terrible at, at saying no to anything. So <laughs> if you need something, I'll do it for you. But <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor. Follows has helped organizations generate over $6 billion in revenue. What's our secret sauce? With Follows, anyone on the marketing team can create engaging B2B buyer experiences in 30 minutes or less. Looking to boost conversion rates on digital ads? Increase upsell rates? 
localize your campaigns for partners and geographies, better engage the C-suite, Follows is the easy button for marketing execution so you can engage the right buyers more often. On average, we increase engagement by five times. Sign up for a demo today and learn how you can turn engagement into revenue with Follows. I know, again, going back to that MarTech landscape, it's huge. And obviously, I wouldn't think that you need all of these different categories of tools. So in your eyes and from what you've seen, you know, working with your customers and, and things like that, what are the essential components of a successful MarTech stack? And what are the ones that are a little more frivolous, those, those nice-to-haves, but not hundred percent necessary to do your job. Anything stand out there? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely over the past couple of years, a thing that's becoming more and more of a requirement for companies is a customer data platform. Being able to have a CDP that helps you manage all of your customer data, can track a single view of the customer, and can distribute that data across all of your tools. So I would say what we would call the modern stack, you have a customer data platform that helps you move data around. And when you have that, that's definitely going to make your life a little bit easier, but it does come with a hefty price tag. Usually a customer data platform will reduce the amount of development work you have to do, so that saves you a ton of money anyways. But on top of that, you're typically, I mean, especially in B2B, we all know we're going to have a CRM. You should always have some sort of marketing automation platform that's going to be set up and then some sort of reliable web analytics product. And I'm not talking about Google Analytics. Google Analytics is a great analytics product, but you should have something that's going to be able to help you track your customers, whether that be a mix panel, an amplitude, those products, which are, are positioned as product analytics. They really do marketing analytics really, really well. They help you understand your funnels. They help you do a lot of stuff. I think those are some of the mainstays that you really, really have to focus on. And, and what sucks is most companies don't even get the value out of their CRM or their marketing automation tool. And then they go buy $75,000 a year and other licenses for things that they're never going to use when they could have just done more with their marketing automation tool if they would have invested. I think some companies like naturally lead scoring is done inside of your marketing automation tool. But a lot of these predictive lead scoring products out there can be really, really helpful. So we see a lot of more advanced companies adding those things. And then whatever you're going to use for your outbound sales, whether that be an outreach, an Apollo, a MixMax, I mean, those are your mainstays. And I think the new thing that everybody's now getting really in tune with is going to be a data warehouse and business intelligence. And Looker is a great option for business intelligence. Same with Tableau. We see a lot of organizations adding Snowflake or Redshift. These are becoming more of the mainstays now because uh, you can kind of push it all together. Domo is another popular tool in there. But those would be kind of like the ones that we would immediately point our finger at that we think companies don't invest enough time or resources into. And then they go buy all this, as we would call fancy hot dog stuff for no real reason, because it, they think it's going to push them to the next level. And it's like, you could have done that with one of your tools you already have already. Interesting. And you brought up a great point in terms of the sales technologies, right? And I'm just curious, is sales going to have their own like massive sales stack martech <laughs> will have their you know marketing will have their own martech stack and and sales will have their own tech stack do you see that really expanding i feel like there are so many players coming out now specifically for you know sales enablement sales solutions and things like that do you see that happening at all 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, MarTech was huge. Sales tech is becoming huge. RevTech is becoming the next one. I think technology has slowly worked its way into every department that has a budget. And sales tech has really been taking off. I mean, we, of course, sales has had a lot of technology for a long time, whether that, I mean, SalesLoft is not a young company by any means, and they're extremely popular. Outreach is really not that young. They've grown like a rocket ship. Companies like Hunter.io, and there's a whole bunch of sales tools, are not young companies, right? I mean, Zoom Info is technically sales tech. They're not a small company. They're not uh, new by any means. But there is a lot of new players coming onto the space. And I think it more has to do with the fact that sales is just really starting to get budget to be able to prove their value. And that's really, really good. But I mean, revenue operations as a whole, that's covering marketing, sales, and customer success. Technology is really starting to infiltrate and show its value there. So yeah, I can't remember who said it, but like sales tech is in a renaissance right now. And I was I was like, okay, cool. Like <laughs> I think technology in general is in a renaissance. Like I think we are just booming like crazy, which is great to see. But sales is definitely a, a hot spot right now. And I think it's hard to find good talent that knows how to use the technology, that knows how to do sales operations. Well, we have to remember the biggest thing holding back technology is talent. If you don't have talent to use the technology, What's the point of having it? And that's really what's slowing all of us down is we don't have enough talented sales operations or marketing operations professionals to help everybody kind of rise all the tide for the ships. Interesting. And speaking of talent, is there in your eyes or in your opinion or from what you've seen with customers, should there be a sole owner of the stack is there a specific role that should should really own that? Or is it a team thing? How does that work? Who, who takes ownership of that? Yeah, usually there's a marketing operations person in marketing who's responsible for the marketing stack. Sales will have a sales ops person that's responsible for the sales stack. Customer success typically rolls up to revenue operations, and that person helps with their stack. Usually there is multiple stakeholders involved with that. One of the big shifts that you're seeing now is that the CIO at these companies are the buyer. The CIO is the person who oversees all of the stack. Um, they're responsible for information and customer data is part of that information. The CTO is, of course, responsible for code and software. So the CIO more or less is the one who oversees these big unwieldy stacks, but they usually have many, many of minions and marketing operations people that work for them that manage certain areas. So if you had Marketo and Salesforce and Adomo, you'd probably have a team, a marketing operations person, a sales operations person, and a data analyst that would be overseeing those things. But that's where Rev RevOps has really come into play. RevOps oversees all of the tools, and that's becoming more and more popular where companies have a revenue operations person, and it's their job to oversee all the techs, but they usually have uh, some sort of hierarchy managing certain areas. That's great. And yeah, we've definitely been seeing a ton on RevOps lately as well. And obviously, at the end of the day, right, every, everybody's got to be aligned. It's got to cross-organizational alignment is so key, I think, in everything that goes on in B2B marketing. So at the end of the day, just talk to your colleagues, right? Yeah. And alignment's super, super important. I mean, there's a great book called The Challenger Customer. It's written by the same people who wrote The Challenger Sale. And The Challenger Customer is a really, really good book for not only sales reps to read to understand how do they sell to these large organizations, but also for somebody in a company, how do you create alignment between three departments or five departments? And that's really hard to do. I mean, the biggest roadblock in some of our deals are IT teams. They get brought in at the last minute. Next thing you know, things go sideways because IT wants to do this other thing that and they're not aligned with marketing and creating that alignment is, is super, super important. And that, and that goes back to OKRs, right? So the book Measure What Matters with OKRs is a great primer on how do you create alignment in a large organization? OKRs are a great tool for doing that. That's great. 
Coming down to the wire, and I'd love to ask, does any specific success story come to mind um, in terms of overhauling a MarTech stack or building one from scratch that you could share? Yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, to check out a copy of my book. And for everybody listening, you can get a free copy of my book. If you pull out your cell phone, what you can do is if you text the number 415-915-9110, you should be able to get a free copy of, uh, you'll be able to get a copy of the book. Uh, it will actually roll out a text bot to help you make sure that you can give it your address and all that stuff. And in my book, we focus on the use cases that a company had, the problems that a company had by not having an integrated stack and how they could correct that to make sure that um, they could deliver on those business results, which is really, really helpful. However, I think the most common thing that we see companies kind of fail with is not doing a good job with personalization and not trying to segment their customers early enough. That's typically like the biggest problem that we see is there's just not proper segmentation. And a really cool hack to that is like when somebody signs up to your email list or when somebody signs up for, as an example, any downloadable piece of content, the first email you should send them is should be asking information about them. And what we typically will do is in that email say, hey, like what is your role or what is a piece of content? What type of content are you most interested in? And there's five buttons in the email and they basically click on that button. And that saves that in our marketing automation tool to then say, hey, this person is interested in shipping information or whatever other information you may have, whatever segmentation you can create. And then you, of course, send them those emails. And there's some real live things in my book. And earlier, I think I made a, a mistake when I said the number. The, the phone number is 415-915-9011. And if you text the word MARTECH, A-M-A-R-T-E-C-H, to 415-915-9011, you'll be able to use the text bot to get a free copy of the book where you'll be able to get some of those real examples where you can actually write it down in a book and highlight it. But usually people just aren't good at personalization because they have bad integration. If you have good integration, you can do really, really wild stuff with personalization. And that really, personalization is that thing that moves the needle for all businesses. Yeah, I could not agree more. Personalization is, is so key these days because we all, we're all so used to having that awesome personalized experience from those B2C companies, right? Amazon personalizes everything. You have your Spotify playlists personalizing stuff, Netflix. So everybody's used to it on the B2C side, so they expect it on the B2B side. So that is definitely key. Dan, this has been a really awesome conversation and we covered a lot, but anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up, any final thoughts or tips, takeaways that you could share with the audience? Yeah, I think one thing that's going to help everybody, if you were to go to maga.io, so M-C-G-A-W.io, halfway down the page, there's a what you see is what you get stack builder diagram. If you go to that page, you can put in your domain, and it'll automatically tell you all the tools that are being used on your website, and then you can build a stack diagram. So that way you can see what's going on in your stack, how is data flowing between all of those tools, and that'll be something to kind of help push you forward so you understand how to design your stack and what's already in there. So really, really easy, free product for you to use. And I think something everybody can get a little bit of value at. And, and thanks so much for having me. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've had a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, the insights were awesome. And I love that you guys, you know, are offering all of these free tools and a free book for, for our audience. So I truly, truly appreciate your time and contribution to this. So thank you again, Dan. And thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode 
episode. As always, subscribe to us on any preferred podcast channel that you'd like. Um, check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Share any feedback you may have and or contact me directly. My Twitter handle is at Claudia Tarico. Um, yeah, everyone, thank you so much for checking out today's episode. Hopefully we'll see you again next time. Bye.